Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. It's 10 days before Christmas. Don't panic. There's still plenty of time to get gifts for loved ones and friends and co-workers. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. That's Steve Carell on The Office playing Michael Scott, the worst boss ever, or maybe the best in TV history. Now, what toys are on your shopping list for the kids and grown-ups in your life? Today, where we live, we talk to toy experts, including a Connecticut shop owner, about the toy must-haves this season. How are toy makers changing designs to reflect diversity? And later, we'll hear from a local toy subscription box curator and from the Toy Association. First, a Connecticut business owner joins us now on Zoom. Amado's Toy and Hobby has been a destination on Middletown's Main Street for years. Diane Gervais' grandfather, Vinny, founded the store 81 years ago. She's now the owner and operator with her husband and daughter. Diane, welcome to where we live. Hi, Lucy. Happy holidays. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, it was my dad, actually, who started the company 81 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Vinny. <laughs> Yes, he was my dad. He started in 1940 selling um, what then was pretty much a gender-specific toy, model airplanes. In 1940, little boys uh, played sports and built model airplanes. And a lot has changed in the last 81 years. So let's talk about those changes. As you remember being in the store as a child and now that you're a toy buyer, uh, what are customers looking for? You know, uh, so much has changed. I, I've been a toy buyer for about 40 years now, um, and of course worked in the store uh, for 40 plus years. Um, we have seen that customers are looking for different products, obviously. They have changed along with the times. So, and, and the manufacturers have changed along with the times. So the product selection is much broader today. Um, and. Uh, appeals to a wider variety of people. So tell me more about when customers are coming in, what, what are they asking for, and maybe some of the, the toy brands that, that you find are pretty popular now. Um, well, we specialize in very open-ended, creative play. Uh, we have all kinds of games and puzzles and science kits and uh, dress-up, et cetera, for um pretend play. And some of our companies, um, big name brands like Lego and Playmobil, um, have you know changed their product mix, changed their packaging um, to reflect the times. 
Um, we want to hear from our listeners uh, about some of the toys that you're seeking out this holiday season. And when you're thinking about diversity inclusion, you know, what brands you're um, gathering and thinking about in terms of uh, your children and their their um, passions. So our number is 888-720-9677. Again, that's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. When we think more about the package, and um, how that has changed, Diane. Uh, sending a message uh, to children and families about uh, inclusivity? Yes. So um, packaging can really s- send a subliminal message, right? So where years ago a craft kit, for example, might have had a picture of a little girl building this specific craft. Today, what we will see is most likely the craft, the, the, the actual things in the box, and probably not photos of children playing with it. Or if there are photos on the box, they will be uh, a mixed. They will be girls, they will be boys, they will be different ages, different skin tones, etc. to really send the message that this toy can be played with by anybody. And it, it allows children to really, you know, choose anything that they want. They don't look at that package and say, oh, that's for um, a little girl. I can't play with that. You can join us again, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, before I bring on the next guest, Diane, uh, is there a favorite toy that you still have today? <laughs> well, uh, one of my all-time favorites is Playmobil. I, I always tell people that it should be in every house. Um, it allows for so much creativity. I uh, like toys that allow children to explore the world and to uh, be creative and imaginative, and Playmobil hits those notes. Well, uh, Jeffrey Trawick-Smith is now joining us on Zoom. He's Professor Emeritus at the Center for Early Childhood Education at Eastern Connecticut State University. He's been studying toys for years, also putting out an annual Best Toy Report. Jeffrey, welcome. Well, uh, it's nice to be here. So I just heard Diane mention uh, Playmobil. So let's talk about that. Has that been on the list? Actually, we haven't studied Playmobil uh, toys. Um, It would be a good one to include in our research. Um, We uh, tend to pick about 10 or 12 toys a year. Uh, We've been doing this study for about 10 years. Uh, We're now doing something a little bit different uh, related to toys, but um, you know, uh, it's definitely something we should take a look at because it's a very popular uh, toy. And especially um, when I think about other uh, popular toys, uh, Lego. So talk more about when you're looking at uh, toys that um, are very popular and are also helping children play, so to speak. Uh, what are some of the toys that have been on the list? Okay, well, um, we've done this for 10 years and different toys are identified. Uh, we like to call them highest scoring, we have a whole rubric to uh, examine the impact on children's development across across different areas. Um, however, a, a few kind of trends have emerged that um, I can share. Um, one uh, d- type of toy that is particularly powerful are construction toys. In fact, the highest scoring toy in our research Uh, has been a set of hardwood blocks, uh, toys that, you know, I played with when I was growing up. 
Legos score very high. Um, and so the idea is that, um, you know, these toys are open-ended. Diane, I like the idea that you focused on uh, open-ended toys because they allow children to play out uh, what they're concerned about, what they're worried about, what's going on in their families, uh, some, to some degree, their culture, their ability level. Uh, they can do pretty much whatever they want with toys that are kind of nonspecific, um, uh, such as blocks. Uh, Diane, did you want to respond uh, to Jeffrey? Exactly. I, I, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. This is, um, we always encourage our customers. I, we don't specialize in, for example, licensed product. And um, we have, you know, the occasional Thomas the Tank Engine or, uh, you know, licensed item in the store. But as a general rule, not what we focus on. And I often, you know, talk with customers about that. And I say, when a product is licensed and you're pigeonholed into the child is playing that character and that item can only be that story or that character. And it usually has a very short lifespan. When you go with a, a more open-ended toy or a, a, a a doll that's just a doll or Playmobil set where there's little characters and one minute they can be Bob and the next minute they can be, you know, Billy doing a different activity. You um, allow the child ex exactly as Jeff is saying to explore the world from, from their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey, you also wrote a book, Young Children's Play, and you and you talk about uh, three girls playing together and, and Head Start, um, and they all come from different backgrounds, uh, but they're still able to play. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you can talk about that and how teachers should think about what toys should be in the classroom uh, that appeal to children uh, from different backgrounds. Well, first, I need to, uh, I always say this uh, when I uh, do a program like this, um, we need more play in school. I'm very concerned about it kind of disappearing. Uh, kindergartens are pretty serious places now, and I'm worried about that trend. Uh, one reason being that play is the way that children come to connect with one another to acquire social skills. And there's a growing body of research saying that if children play with those are, who are of different backgrounds, speak a different language, or are of a different uh, identified gender, uh, they come to uh, have more positive views about those who are different. Um, so it's you know a, a remarkable uh, setting for uh, coming to know about people who may uh, be different than you. And the example you're giving are a, a group of uh, children who are uh, actually they're pretending to set up for a party. And it includes a child who speaks only English, a child who speaks only Spanish, just kind of moved from Mexico to uh, Connecticut, and then a child who has an intellectual disability. And they're all playing the play, same play theme, but kind of on different levels. But the, 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 um, the interaction socially, uh, how they support one another, how they in joyful ways carry out their interactions is, is truly remarkable. And so I think, uh, you, know, um, you know, play is just a wonderful setting for facilitating, uh, you know, uh, a, a understanding and acceptance of people who are different. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, when we think about the holiday season, people trying to think about toys uh, for their children and, you know, even some of the grown-ups in their lives. When you look back at the 10-year study that you did, uh, Jeffrey, what were some of the lowest scoring toys and why? <laughs> I always love this question. <laughs> and I want to be cautious not to, you know, point out to toys that, uh, you know, are still on the market. Um, I, I will answer this way. Uh, at the very beginning of the study, when we were first developing a, a research instrument, we included some battery operated, you know, kind of electronic toys. Uh, we also included some that are called educational toys, which, by the way, we found they aren't particularly. Um, and what we had, uh, found is that they may attract children initially with the bells and whistles be kind of really uh, interesting. But as I think as Diane was saying, they may lose their interest pretty quickly and have very little play value. Some of the toys we looked at, in fact, quite, kind of play for children. They talk, you know, a talking telephone where uh, you don't really do the talking, it's the uh, you know, it's the toy. Uh, these things are not particularly uh, beneficial in terms of, uh, you know, valuable uh, play activities. Um, so that's how I would answer that question. I think, you know, um, once again, we really have found that basic, somewhat non-realistic, gender-neutral <laughs> toys tend to, uh, you know, um, inspire really positive interactions, thinking and learning and creativity. I love hearing that, Jeffrey. And Diane, I'd love to hear you weigh in because when I was a, a new parent and people give you the toys for your child with all the bells and whistles, those are the ones you put in the closet <laughs> because you get tired of, the, of the, the sounds that they make. But it's interesting when you hear from Jeffrey's research, uh, Diane, that you know children kind of tire of those. And it's like the traditional things like the blocks and, and more uh, gender neutral toys that children are engaging in. Exactly. I've been sitting here nodding along with everything he is saying. This is what we have um, spoken about to customers uh, for, for my 40 years, and my dad was doing it before me. Um, we, when I, um, you know, we kind of call ourselves toy matchmakers in here, where we really like to help um, customers that come in, especially at Christmas time, where you have a lot of people shopping for a niece or a nephew or a friend's child, where they, um, we like to try to match the toy to the child and match it to their interests. Um, and what we're, you know, they might come in initially asking for whatever they happen to be on a list or whatever they saw on a talk show was the it toy this year, etc. And we then, um, like to show them things that will be out on the living room floor being played with all year instead of being in the back of the closet, uh, you know, a couple days after Christmas. And that's, again, what we specialize in. It's those basic toys and craft kits and science kits and oh, dress up play, my one of my favorite areas of the store, um, is, is what children will play with throughout the year. So describe the, the dress up uh, part of uh, your store <laughs> and how that has changed from the traditional, I guess, uh, children's costumes. It has. It has. So, um, you know, where once uh, 
it's a good example of the changes where once there were princess dresses, you know, pink princess dresses, right? And maybe a wand and a crown. Now we have an entire selection of uh, all kinds of things. We have astronaut outfits, we have pilot outfits, uh, doctor outfits, veterinarian outfits, princess dresses, uh, dragon capes, unicorn capes, all kinds of things. And, you know, I, I have a story uh, from this, I have two stories related to, to our dress up area. Just the other day, I was speaking with a grandmother who was telling me about her grandchild, who's a little girl who's uh, loved everything, she said. She goes, for example, she runs around in a princess dress all day with a tool belt tied onto her, wearing combat boots, and then is off to do a craft kit. And then another story about a little boy this summer whose favorite character uh, happened to be a, a, a princess from a, a princess show. And he wanted to play pretend and he wanted to pretend he was that princess. And mom helped him choose a crown and choose a cape and choose a wand. And the smile on his face, he was thrilled and went off for all kinds of adventures. So parents are much more accepting today of allowing kids to, um, you know, just try different things and enjoy themselves. Uh, well, I love hearing those stories. Uh, Diane Gervais was with us, owner of T Amato's Toy and Hobby in Middletown. Uh, Diane, such a pleasure to hear from you and the fact that you've had this family business uh, for such a long time, started by your father, Vinny. Uh, we really appreciate hearing from you today. Thank you very much for having me. And this note, Amato's is an underwriter of Connecticut Public Radio. Jeffrey Trawick-Smith was also here, Professor Emeritus of Center for Early Childhood Education at Eastern Connecticut State University, a longtime toy researcher. Before we let you go, Jeffrey, uh, our producer Sujata had noted that the uh, some of the toy finalists in the annual Hall of Fame at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, uh, those finalists uh, were sidewalk chalk, spinning top, and matchbox cars, also the Fisher price corn popper. What do you think about those choices in this conversation about diversity and inclusion? Well, first, I love that museum. Uh, uh, strong every year. Uh, ha they have a Hall of Fame, uh, a Toy Hall of Fame. And each year they pick a, 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 a toy. And what I really uh, like about it is that on various years, they've selected things like a box. And uh, you understand that it's a truth. It's absolutely the case that children will open a gift and mainly play with the box. You've heard that little story, but it's kind of true. Uh, they have selected a stick. Um, so what they're trying to do is recognize that toys don't even need to be commercially uh, uh, created or um, you know to be you know educational in any kind of special way. These things are, um, you know, can be transformed into almost any kind of play activity. Um, and so it kind of, I think it supports our work that it's those kind of, uh, you know, kind of non-realistic, uh, you know, uh, basic uh, toys that, uh, you know, are, are so valuable for children. Jeffrey Trawick-Smith, thank you for your time today. It was nice to be here.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we hear from the Toy Association about the latest toy trends and how manufacturers are thinking about designs and packaging um, to be more inclusive. Are you still shopping for Christmas? What toys are on your list? You can join us, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As we heard, toys have changed a lot in recent years, especially as manufacturers respond to increased interest for gender-neutral toys and ones that represent more diverse populations. For more, joining us on Zoom is Ellen Lambert, an advisor for equity, inclusion, and diversity at the not-for-profit Toy Association and Toy Foundation. Ellen, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy, and thank you so much. You've been working in the diversity field uh, for some time. I understand uh, uh, first for an energy company and also worked in the area of inclusion at Merck. And so let's talk about diversity in the toy industry. What have you learned? So right now we're looking at the first what consumers want and the changes that they're looking for. But more importantly, what Jeff and Diane both talked about was play and the importance of play and reaching communities and children and families that we don't typically reach, either based on economic hardship, based on diversity, based on where they live. So we're looking at diversity, inclusion, and equity through a lens not just of what we look like, our able-bodiedness, our gender uh, choices, but also looking at our experiences. And we're seeing the industry begin to come together in, a, in an effort to reach cultures and and communities of families that we really haven't reached because play is so important, as Jeff said and Diane said. There's a report uh, by Trend Hunter for the Toy Association. So to give our listeners an example of how, uh, you know, big brands are thinking about this, uh, in October, Lego launched its Everyone is Awesome set and Wild Brain, the Teletubbies Pride Collection in celebration of Pride Month. There's packaging design that features Braille yeah. and product detecting apps. There's even anti-racist storylines in gaming. Can you talk more about that? 
Sure. One thing I was going to say is books and puzzles are so important because as children play, they learn about not only themselves, so a toy that looks like them, but about their families, their family histories, and the diversity of communities. So a book on bears, on a different culture, um, when we can all go to museums again, a trip with a youngster to a museum to see something about Native peoples, those kinds of toys are getting a lot of traction. Puzzles uh, are wonderful because of what they show, um, different pictures that you're putting together, big piece puzzles for young children and more complex puzzles for older children. I think the most important thing is to build play into everything so that children can not only learn about themselves but about others and deal with their own experiences. The Toy Foundation specifically during the pandemic tried to bring toys to children who might not have had them and play became so important during the past two years. Um, we're seeing a lot of toy manufacturers turn to do more things like boxes, uh, simpler things that children can play with, and iconic toys always are phenomenal for universal play. Has there been any pushback when uh, these big brands are trying to be inclusive, but would some see this as more tokenism? How would you respond? I think that there is some pushback. I think that, you know, you still can go online and find toys for girls and toys for boys. And as hopeful and positive as we all are, you know, Diane with the, um, her toy store and Jeff, uh, I think you do still see pushback. But I think our job at the Association Foundation is to move the culture of the entire toy industry, uh, the hiring, the promoting, bringing diverse candidates into the industry itself, not just in the creative aspect, but in every aspect, um, the supply chain. We need to make sure that we're reaching everyone. So when a child says, what can I be? You can answer anything you can imagine, anything you can imagine. And toys and play take that imagination further. Can we talk about affordability? Uh, something that I didn't grow up with, the American Girl dolls, uh, but my daughter gets these uh, uh, pamphlets and, you know, advertisements. You know, we get them in our mail now. And, you know, some of those dolls, you know, may not have hair. Some of those dolls may be dolls that have um, that have wheelchair accessories. Uh, but, you know, they're also really expensive. And so I'm just wondering, like, you know, while this is uh, great to see, you know, um, but I'm just wondering, you know, how when we think about affordability and who has uh, the ability to buy these toys for their children? I think that you are talking about a specific community that has better economic uh, success or, if you will, more opportunity to purchase. But I would go back to the idea of play and the idea of dress up. I think it's a wonderful thing to have costumes, but in my own closet, there are bandanas, there are old shirts, there are ways for my children and grandchildren to play. Boxes are incredible. Uh, there's a family near us who took all the boxes last year that they got at Christmas and built an entire city for their children with a pizza parlor and a grocery store and a museum. So I think affordability is critical and we discuss it as an association and the foundation is always striving to make toy donations, relevant toy donations to children that don't have, 
but it is an issue we have to talk about when we talk about inclusion and equity. Um, how do we level that field so all children can play and can imagine and can uh, use play to build their own confidence? And Elena, before we let you go, when we think about geographic differences, you know, do kids play differently based on where they live? How are toy makers approaching that difference? I think they're becoming more aware of the differences. So, for example, red barns. Not every barn in the farmland across this country or anywhere are red. Sometimes they're not even barns. So I think when you work with creatives, they're looking at where their blind spots are. And we're talking about how can we overcome the differences, but children will find a way to play together. Jeff's book speaks to that. And if toy manufacturers and, and toy creators can pull together even more than they are now, I think you'll see more universal uses of play to relate to our communities, to change the impact of diversity and inclusion. You've been hearing Ellen Lambert here on Where We Live, advisor for equity, inclusion, and diversity at the not-for-profit Toy Association and Toy Foundation. Ellen, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. So welcome. Thank you, Lucy. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we're going to hear from a small business owner in Connecticut who curates toy subscription boxes. How does she choose which toys and what are reactions from parents and children? That's ahead. Now, first thing and this week is Connecticut's end of the year fundraising campaign. Have you supported this public radio station this year? If not, here are two of my colleagues to tell you how. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up tomorrow, disinformation is a factor for anyone online, but research has shown COVID-19 disinformation in Spanish lingers longer on social media platforms. On the next Where We Live, hear more about this national problem and about local efforts to close the gap in vaccine distribution among Hispanic residents in our state. You can join us that conversation tomorrow. Now, today we've been talking about toys and how manufacturers are changing designs and packaging to be more diverse and inclusive. Joining us now is a small business owner in Connecticut on Zoom, Eileen Foley, who's owner of Little Acorn Learning LLC that's based in Reading. She's also a toy curator. Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. It's so nice to be here. So I mentioned you're a toy curator. We'll get to that, but I understand you were once a kindergarten teacher. So talk about your career shift here. Uh, yes, actually, uh, back in 2005, I had a um, small in-home uh, kindergarten, uh, a play-based kindergarten um, that was really inspired by Waldorf education. Um, um, so very nature-based, uh, open-ended toys, uh, natural toys, um, and, and that sort of thing. So I did that for, for many years, and I actually started blogging. This is way before social media, uh, Facebook or, or anything. Um, and I started blogging about our days together, and I, I um, was hoping to inspire other teachers. Um, and I guess in a way I did, but I got a very large homeschooling population of uh, followers. And so they had asked that I kind of put my ideas together, and I started offering a curriculum. So that's how Little Acorn Learning kind of morphed into an online business. Um, I offer homeschool curriculum, play-based um, 
you know, really focused on the home arts and, and you know, a lot of outdoor natural play. Um, and I offer kindergarten, first grade and second grade curriculum for homeschoolers and also what I call after schoolers, um, people who, you know, would just like to bring more of that to their children's lives that, you know, may attend a uh, public school or another school. Um, and then in 2019, I started offering some natural toys to supplement that. Um, so now we're kind of, you know, going into the toy area. And I <clears throat> I just recently started a subscription box program as well. So, so tell me more about that. And when you're thinking about uh, the toys that you're selecting uh, in these monthly subscription boxes, talk about how you make those decisions and how have customers responded? Yeah, so uh, I... I named the subscription box the Head, Heart, and Hands subscription box. Um, so the idea is that we're trying to reach um, not only the child, but also the caregiver um, in a very holistic way. Um, for example, uh, each box will include something that, uh, you know, might might be slightly educational. I try not to go too heavy um, with that because I do agree with Jeff Um that, you know, really, I think play um, is, you know, children learn through play and learn through imitation. And um, so, you know, we might have a book, for example, December's box was about the snowy owl. And it's always a surprise. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, so we had a book about the snowy owl, uh, which would really focus on the head piece, the intellect. Um, the heart would, you know, the, the heart piece would be, a, you know, maybe a cuddly toy or a suggestion of a loving activity to do with your child. Um, and then the hands would be something hands-on, like a craft, or um, sometimes it's even for the caregiver to make something to work with with their child. Um, so I try to put it together in that way and, and really keep the caregiver in mind as well um, and try to help them as they're uh, playing and creating an environment for their children. And from hearing the experts earlier in the hour, are you are you thinking about you know toys that are gender neutral and also representing different cultures? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, most of the toys in my shop um, are very neutral. So you'll see that there is a wooden truck, for example, and it's not blue or pink. Um, it's it's wooden. Um, we have uh, wooden blocks. Um, really not a lot of lights and whistles. It allows the child to really um, kind of create their own story and, and not, um, not follow a predetermined um, outcome. Um, we have dolls that um, have various skin tones. Um, one thing I love is uh, in Waldorf education, a lot of the dolls will have a very simple face or no facial, facial features at all. Um, and that's so the child can really imagine how they want their baby doll to look and, and really put their own story into their play. Um, one of our, our most popular uh, toys is our play silks. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny about the dress up, like Diane was talking about dress up. I mean, a play silk can become a baby doll blanket, a tent. It can be a cape. And it just really is beautiful to be able to see the children just, you know, take take something so simple and, and create so many different things with it. You're hearing Eileen Foley here on Where We Live. She's owner of Little Acorn Learning, and she's a toy curator as we talk about toys this holiday season. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Tanya's calling in from Bloomfield. Tanya, what did you want to share? 
Hi, thank you for having me. I've worked with Jeff in the past, and um, I've loved his work with uh, with uh, learning through playing with toys, and he's taught me so much over the years at Eastern. But my comment was, I have two boys, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I'm an African-American woman, and I really do take it seriously with trying to find the appropriate toys for my children to play with and looking at all different areas of, of giving them a healthy, holistic view of, um, of life and appreciation of what they have around them, um, understanding how we uh, impact their beliefs about others and, and themselves has always been a concern for me as an educator, but even more now as a parent. So I'm just appreciative of this conversation and what it offers to me as a parent and to others. Well, thank you, Tanya, for calling in. Before I let you go, it sounds like you're in the car, so hopefully you're being safe, uh, hands-free. Uh, but when you're thinking about uh, toys for your four- and seven-year-old, can you give us an example of some brands you've gravitated towards? Well, you know, look, I am in the car, and I am being safe. I'm hands-free. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so I took it off of the speaker to help out. Uh, you know what? Particular brands, I I can't say that I've I've looked at a particular brand, but I'm big on looking on Amazon and watching videos and watching students, um, children interact with toys. Over the pandemic, I found myself purchasing um, purchasing puppets for my then three year olds, and the the puppets that I found on on Amazon was you know just had diversity in there with skin tones and with gender and you know sometimes people think that you know little boys shouldn't play with things that have been uh typically identified as girl toys uh but we welcomed it in our household you know and my son really gravitated towards it and doing just play and interacting and and trying to figure out you know how a particular person behaved Well, thank you, Tanya, for sharing that with us and for listening uh, to the show. I wanted to go back to our guest, Eileen Foley. It was interesting when uh, Tanya mentioned puppets. Is that still something um, that you're hearing from parents that might be interested in? And and how are you sourcing uh, from local makers, toy makers in our state? Oh, yes. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, Yes, puppets are wonderful. As a matter of fact, in my uh, kindergarten program, we did so many puppet shows, um, I actually was just looking this week at a puppet making kit that I would like to offer. Um, you know, I I also wanted to go back to this idea about affordability um, because it really is an issue. And some of these beautiful wooden toys are, are very expensive for families. Um, so what Ellen was talking about really struck a chord with me. Um, so one of the things I do try to do is on my blog, I try to offer some ideas of, you know, just simple play things around the house, you know, um, you know, pots and pans, um, you know, dress up clothes that you might have around the house um, and also how to make toys um, in, in some of my um, boxes and in the curriculum um, and on the blog, which is, uh, you know, free stuff. I, I offer, you know, little simple ideas on how to make a doll for your child or or make a toy. And, and the children just love that sort of thing, you know, something homemade. Um, so, and then as far as, uh, you know, sourcing my products, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. I do my best to support other um, uh, small business owners, women, you know, women-owned businesses, uh, a person of color businesses. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult uh, in particular to find woodworkers um, 
in Connecticut. The prices have gone up and it's, you know, a, a lot of work. Um, so, so that's difficult. So I do try to um, find small business owners that are, that are um, able to help provide some items in my boxes. For example, I have um, a couple that does woodworking that, you know, offered some little wooden owls for the December box. Um, I don't have a lot of, of uh, manufacturers in Connecticut. I'm very open if anybody is listening and is a, you know, a toy manufacturer. Um, but most of our, our products are USA based. Um, some, if they are overseas, they're ethically uh, manufactured. So I'm, I try to be very cautious about that. Mm -hmm. And when in our research for this show, uh, we found uh, some small uh, toy makers in our state, uh, many who are selling on Etsy. Uh, so that was interesting to see. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously, you started out as a teacher. You're still doing work with uh, curriculum and thinking about ways that, that teachers can incorporate more of these types of toys that are gender neutral and diverse in the classroom. Uh, Eileen, did you want to share? Uh, yeah, I just think, you know, just as you're creating your play space, you know, I, I always go back to this idea that, you know, children are wonderful imitators. Um, and, you know, as educators and parents, we really need to be worthy of, Im of, of imitation. Um, and so they, you know, they often play out what's going on in their home life or their daily interactions or, or you know, um, or, or anything that they're seeing around them. So if you can create a play space that uh, allows for that, um, allows for them to, you know, play out uh, their feelings and their ideas, um, but also kind of weave in diverse, uh, diverse items, um, you know, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be dolls of different skin tones, um, you know, uh, you know, depending on the age of your child, for example, in, in my curriculum, we, uh, in the, uh, in, in one month each week, we, we learn about a new religion. And I, I try to tie in the similarities between the different religions. So it's just a matter of what you're bringing to the children each day and really being mindful of that. Um, and, you know, it's a really big job and early childhood is a really pivotal time uh, for, for a child's development. Well, it's been a pleasure to hear from you, Eileen, and so happy for you that you've uh, found the success in, in this new venture as a toy curator, sending out uh, toys and monthly subscription boxes. Can I put you on the spot? What was your favorite toy growing up? <laughs> it's funny. I was just talking to my mother about this before the call. Um, this is actually relevant. Uh, my I loved dolls. And my grandmother, we were in a toy store and a new boy doll, a gender appropriately <laughs> made boy doll had come out on, on the market and I wanted it so bad. And my grandmother, you know, got in line with me with this boy doll with the, the right parts and a lady in line was disgusted. And she just said, how could you, you know, how could you buy your, your little girl this boy doll with boy parts? And I just remember her standing up for me that day. And, and it was just so amazing. Um, and that little doll was my favorite doll. His name was Nikki. Um, <laughs> so I remember Nikki growing up. And it's just, you know, it's interesting how times have changed, you know, how that was so offensive back then when I was young. Well, Eileen Foley, thank you so much, owner of Little Acorn Learning, based in Reading. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, today's show produced by Sujata Srinivasan. Again, uh, this is our end-of-the-year fundraising campaign here at Connecticut Public Radio. If you appreciate the conversations you hear, the news and information each and every day, here are two of my colleagues to tell you how to support it. <laughs>